This is the Stories from 1916 podcast. Using first-hand accounts and archive material, we tell the less well-known stories of ordinary men and women who did extraordinary things during Ireland's revolutionary period. When reading through the Easter Rising witness statements held by the Bureau of Military History, a number of recurring themes keep popping up. In a general sense, the confusion and tragedy of the week tends to come across in everyone. Rumours flew around about German soldiers landing with a shipment of arms in Kerry, or that one or another leader had been shot and killed in the fighting. No matter where in Dublin a rebel was stationed, they seemed cut off from the other garrisons, unable to tell how the rising was progressing. Men dropped to the ground lifeless in a grim recounting of the casualties for the week. More specifically, however, particular experiences appear again and again. For example, Many members of the Volunteers and Citizen Army woke early on Easter Sunday morning for Mass and only on the way home heard news of the countermanding order in the Sunday Independent. Another thing that we see in a number of accounts is on Easter Monday morning, the Rising having supposedly been cancelled the day before. It was a bank holiday and the first thought for many witnesses was of the weather. The Grand National was on and people were planning their days off in the sun. Easter Monday, April 24th, 1916 opened bright and sunny, and promised to be an ideal day for the races. I had only joined as a recruit, as a home serviceman. I was extra busy this morning, for my officers were a sporty lot, and I had orders to turn them out spick and span, for they were going to the races. There was some apprehension amongst them, for fear of trouble. There had been clashes between the regular army and the Sinn Féin civilians, to such an extent that for some time most of the commissioned officers had taken precaution of carrying the regimental sticks with them when out for leisure. No different then for Albert George Fletcher Desborough, except he wasn't a member of the Irish Volunteers, or indeed the Citizen Army. Like many other young Irishmen, he was a member of the Royal Irish Regiment of the British Army. He fought the Easter Rising from the other side, but shared many of the same experiences as those he was fighting against. Around him the action unfolded and he was swept along with it. From all quarters the troops rushed while commissioned men and NCOs rushed to their positions to serve as markers for the various companies and sections. There we were told that the Sinn Féiners were out in strength, had taken over strategic positions in the city. It meant fighting, for they had to be ejected, as they carried arms and were supplied with ammunition. These men, we were told, meant to defy the vice-regal authority and were determined to fight it out. We were handed our rifles and sidearms with bandoliers and 250 rounds of ammunition and under our respective supervisor left Richmond Barracks turning towards the South Dublin Infirmary. The struggle for the mastery and the possession of Dublin had commenced. The Royal Irish Regiment was based in Richmond Barracks in Inchicore which was to house the arrested rebels at the end of the week. Due to its location, the regiment marched out to the South Dublin Union, which was being held by Eamon Kiant and the 4th Battalion of the Volunteers. We had not been sitting by the roadside but a few moments, when an intrepid officer of ours, wishing no doubt to find out the lay of the building, got hoisted onto the wall and was immediately shot through the forehead by a sniper. He was our first casualty. We then knew... It was to be a fighting job, and no quarter given. This was the first of many tragic and shocking events Desborough was to witness during the week. 
This same day, several of us were picketed at the cathedral end of Malborough Street and then given the task of closing the road with barbed wire slung across. We had but just completed the task when an elderly man, jumping from side to side like a frog, carrying a rook rifle, which he kept discharging in our direction, taking no notice of our challenge that we would shoot if he didn't cease. But on he came, reloading and firing. Suddenly two or three of our men at a command fired at him. He must have been killed instantly, for he came forward automatically, dropping his weapon and meeting the barbed wire erected across the road, hung over it, legs on one side, head and shoulders on the other side, streaming with blood. We took him down and lay him on the pavement. He had been shot through the centre of the forehead, once through the throat, while two of his fingers dangled by the wool of the glove he wore. We never knew who he was, whether his actions were those of a would-be bravado or whether he was a drunk. It was never discovered. Desborough spent much of the week acting as a messenger, running between various locations across the city, dodging bullets and skirting battles to keep the lines of communication open between scattered and confused sections of the army. Near the end of that week, I was sent to an office in charge of a piece of artillery. I found him and the guns crew within a few steps of what was left of the famous meeting place Liberty Hall. It was then nothing but a battered hulk of a house. It had been the pride, and I believe, the headquarters of the Sinn Féin enthusiasts. At his command, after loading the weapon, the crew manning it raised its trajectory, swivelled the gun and fired it. The round went over the railway bridge, which crossed the road nearby, soaring high, then turned downwards, plunged to the roof of the GPO, crashed through the floors and setting fire to the materials stored in the basement. By Thursday, much of the intense fighting had moved to the forecourts, leaving the area around O'Connell Street quieter by comparison. On the Thursday morning, I wandered around the corner by Parnell's monument to get a glimpse of the post office, from which at times spasmodic rifle fire emanated. Opposite the building, one or two lancers' horses lay magnificent in death. I ventured to take a walk across the road to Henry Street, where I saw the damage done through wanton destruction and looting. Arnett's windows bare. Samuel's, the small jewellers, burnt out. On Saturday, Desborough happened to be at the GPO when Connolly was carried out on a stretcher to attempt to negotiate the terms of surrender. Well, Colonel Owens snorted in his most officious and centaurian voice. What do you want? The six bearers lowered their burden, and as they did so, I saw the wounded man wince with pain. Then he answered in a clear voice. I have come personally to know that if I and my officers surrender, you will allow the rank and file to return to their homes unconditionally. For a moment there was a tense silence. I saw the colonel getting red in the face, then spluttering, you bloody rebel. If I had my way, I'd shoot you. I am the one to make terms, not you. If you and your men don't lay down their arms and surrender before nine tonight and without any conditions attached, 
I'll order the bombardment of the entire city and raise it to the ground. See to it that all your women and children are got to a place of safety. You'll be responsible for any of their deaths. Take him away. The six men raised the stretcher to their shoulders again. They marched off. Many conflicting thoughts and feelings assailed me just then. What I had seen seemed callous, for every now and again, the face of James Connolly winced with pain. Desborough's experience is strikingly different from the majority of the accounts of the week because he was on the British side, but it has many similarities too. He had only recently signed up and had never experienced combat before. He certainly didn't wake up on Easter Monday morning expecting to experience combat. He was shot at and deprived of sleep and food. He witnessed the destruction the violence caused and saw civilians' lives torn apart by rebels and by British artillery. Desborough's statement provides a valuable reminder of how many Irishmen were in the British Army at the time of the Rising and casts an interesting light on this perspective. For more on Desborough and other stories of British soldiers' experiences during the Easter Rising, go to www.storiesfrom1916.com. Thanks for listening.